I'm Michael, and welcome to What We're Watching, Beyond the Screenplay's patron-exclusive podcast where we watch a limited series week by week. Today we are talking about the first two episodes of Foundation, the Apple TV Plus series. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Aran. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Calleros. Hi. So if you missed the announcement in our most recent episode, we are doing this. So like what we did with our Loki watch along series, week by week, you can listen to us react as the season plays out and we share our thoughts on what's working, what's not, uh, the challenges of adapting this material. There's lots of stuff that we can get into, but we're excited to try something that's a kind of a different format. So this episode is obviously public to everybody else. And then moving forward, all the episodes will be for $5 and up patrons. So head over to the Beyond Screenplay Patreon to sign up if you want to continue along with us. So Foundation, the first two episodes have dropped. And so it's a sci-fi series and the plot is really interesting and... Mm-hmm unique uh i'm trying to even figure out how i would summarize it but basically jared harris who i love always plays this character named harry selden and he's developed something called psychohistory where he can predict the future of big societies basically where like you can't predict the future of individuals because individuals are too random but at macro scales in the sci-fi future you can predict how empires will trend and will they fall and all this stuff. And so it's him and his followers kind of uh-huh. trying to not even stop the fall from happening, but shorten the the dark ages that will be coming is kind of the big premise. And then Lee Pace is there as like emperor of the universe, uh, struggling to do emperor empire <laughs> things. <basically. laughs> yep. Um, so I kind of my my introduction to this series was through Sage Hyden's video, our friend Sage from Just Right, where he talks about uh, sociological storytelling and differences between that and psychological storytelling and uses Game of Thrones and this article that came out. So I want to talk about that because I think that's a really fun framework. But first, I want to just get initial hits from you guys. So these first two episodes, what are we thinking? What are we feeling? Brian. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. Uh, I, I definitely enjoy it overall. Um, it's a very pretty show to look at. You know, it's, it's it's nice production and everything. The first half hour of the first episode felt very just breakneck exposition. Here are yeah. people over here and this person over here and da-da-da. Um, and that was a little tricky for me just to really get my bearings. And then once we really settled down with Gail and Harry and Rach, I was like, okay, like now there are characters I can look at and know what they want and know, okay, they're they're going to be executed, but like now they're not, okay, cool. Like I can get behind this. Um so, uh, so yeah, I would say by the end of the second episode, I was like, okay, cool. I'm on board. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. Um, if, uh, if I have anything negative to say about it in general is that it weirdly looks like TV, hmm. which is, a, it's a weird thing to say for a show that looks so gorgeous and big and stuff. But do you know, like 20 years ago, you could watch 30 seconds of something on TV and know if it was TV or a movie, mm. not just because of aspect ratio or whatever, but it was like, whatever the difference is of camera or frame rate or production or whatever you could just tell. And I feel like that's 
not really the case too much anymore. Like Falcon and Winter Soldier, I probably would not be able to tell you if that was a movie or TV just based on like looking at a little bit of it. But for as for as high production as this is, I was like, it it feels like TV in a way that TV doesn't feel anymore. And that's strange for a show that's so big and, and you know, again, so gorgeous. Um, so yeah, it's, there's something about it that's not quite feeling like up to snuff with modern tele with a modern series. Uh, but in terms of just the overall storytelling and stuff, I I'm enjoying it and I'm looking forward to, to hang with you guys every week and talking about it. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the things I look forward to talking about as, as the show progresses is this meta thing of TV, but really expensive TV for streaming stuff, but still TV, but, is it like what you know, <laughs> this was what was really fun talking about Loki also is like right the, the bending and twisting that's happening in these new forms and what mm-hmm. it allows and what works and what doesn't I think will be really interesting to continue examining Alex initial thoughts because you've read part of the book yeah the I, I book. didn't I didn't quite my timing didn't work out I'm like I'm like two-thirds of the way through um <laughs> of the first foundation book uh but I I so it was interesting reading the original foundation book it's part of a, a larger series and i know this show is drawing on the entire series so i don't know much outside of what i've read so far but um it was interesting reading the book because he was written in the 50s you know this is mm-hmm. like really this is part of like a moment in time when there were people like arthur c clark isaac asimov they're like doing serious okay, dick yeah, yeah they're doing ray real, bradbury ray Bre- yeah mm. all these guys and it was this moment where science fiction was leaving the realm of kind of like pulp uh serialized mm-hmm. you know considered not really high art and and there, there was this group of people like isaac asimov that were making really uh, intelligent like sociological you know commenting on society kind of science fiction and uh this book is so that like it's so not about following any individual character for very long on a journey of change it's about basically jumping through time uh you know every like kind of section of the book jumps like ahead like 30 50 years um so you don't really have a continuity of characters uh it's also because it was written in the 50s everybody is a man like there's like women like don't exist (laughs) in the galaxy like there's just no women and people are smoking cigars like you know every every scene every meeting is like would you like a cigar sir and you know they they receive via some very high tech device, like a roll of paper to read, you know, like it's, uh-huh. it's the fifties idea of sci-fi where, you know, we can, we can't imagine not using paper anymore, but we can imagine some other overly complicated device to get the paper to you. <laughs> um, so it, so it was, it was, just, it was very funny to read in that way. Cause it's like both kind of brilliant and intelligent in thinking uh, world building and thinking about uh, this, uh, the idea of psychohistory, which is what the Jared Harris character is an expert in the idea of, what if in this hypothetical future you could have enough data to essentially have an equation for a society and like predict what's going to happen to like a 99.9% accuracy? What are the ramifications of that politically and so socially? So really cool questions it's raising hard to kind of get through, through the surface of this, like, outdated feeling worlds like because because of when it was written mm-hmm. anyways that's been my experience with the book so i was really curious how they were going to handle any of this in like a 2021 tv show mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and i do 
to really credit, um, you know, the series creator, David S. Goyer, like he did a lot to bring characters and, you know, kind of plot turning points and settings into a more modern context where you've got characters like Gal Dornick, who were just like default white man in the book are played by women of color and, and she's great. And, and yeah. you, you have a lot of, you have a lot of gender switching. You have, you know, th- there's like a cold open with a character that's going to come back later. Uh, Salvor Hardin, the kind of that woman who's like keeping watch over the mysterious device on Terminus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also a male character in the books. Uh, so that, that was cool to see. It's like, okay, yeah, like women exist and uh, they're going to be some of the main characters. Um, and, and it's totally fine to switch gender, race, all these things because the characters in the books are just, exposition devices half the time they're, they're just saying <laughs> right. the information that needs to be known um so i so i really like what he's done as far as the characters and updating it i love the way the first episode looks i think the visual effects are really cool and the, I, I like the way the space is shot in a lot of this mm. static but beautifully composed space images there was a moment in time with like the jj abrams star trek feel where it's like we're yeah. zooming and like the camera's got gr- <laughs> like some dirt on it and like the lens flares are happening everywhere and this is, this is kind of more of an elegant you know 2001 a space odyssey kind of framing of space which i really mm-hmm. like and with with modern visual effects and i think a lot of that comes from the first episode being directed by rupert sanders who he he's an interesting director who did like snow white and the huntsman which is Okay. Which is like, which is like a very kind of strange movie, but looks gorgeous, and the, and its use of visual effects is very well done. So he's mm-hmm. very good with visual effects and with kind of having a beautiful fantasy sci-fi kind of worlds, creating that visually. So anyway, all those things I really liked. Uh, I'll finish with my quick hit in a second. <laughs> um, uh, the show did start to worry me in the second episode because the second episode f- felt like we were settling in for something that I'm not sure the source material supports, which is we are going to try to follow these characters in a more like day-to-day way. Like they're on this journey towards Terminus. That's all skipped over in the book. Like none of, like nothing in episode two was is, is at least in the first Foundation book. Um, and I could just feel we're starting to like get further from the source material and we're having to now invent like problems of the week and kind of like more typical TV trope things that I, you know, I've been really enjoying a lot of series recently that are truly limited series where there doesn't need to be like filler episodes or we got to have like a story of the week that like resolves itself within this episode. It can be just one big story like a novel that is like over the course of a season. And I, I got a little worried with the second episode. That's like, oh, okay, like this is not a limited series. There are plant, you know, they, they do want this to be their game of Thrones. They want it to go on for eight seasons. So are we going to have storylines and episodes that feel more like now we're moving more into like a sci-fi channel realm where like, this is kind of a story of the week on this like obvious set that is a spaceship. Um, and, and that is not as much what I'm, what I'm excited for. The first episode felt more like what my jam, which is like, we're being really efficient. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot in this you know, short amount of time and it looks amazing. Uh, let's go off to the races now. And the second episode for me was like, oh, this doesn't feel like off to the races. This feels like pumping the brakes and wasting my time a little bit. 
So that's but it's that's, a spaceship with a pool on it, Alex. Right. There's a She's, pool on the like, spaceship. Why is why are we watching her swim laps so many times? Because <laughs> like, we built a pool on a spaceship right. set. Yeah. <laughs> right. She's she's still counting those prime numbers while she's swimming. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, and then we can talk about the ending of that episode, which is oh, also yeah, get which is there. also not in the book right. that I've been reading so far. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So, sorry, that was a lot. That was a lot. <laughs> that is my opening salvo of foundation uh, thoughts. Love it. You may not speak for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, yeah, Trisha, let's let's get you in here. Yeah, um, I actually really appreciate all of that, Alex, because okay. I I bought the foundation trilogy in paperback to read this summer and went ahead and, and didn't read any of it. Um, <laughs> it just, I, I just did not fit into everything else that I had going on. And so like, I'm looking at my copy of it right now. It's sitting on my desk, just giving me this judgmental glare of like, <laughs> you didn't even crack the cover. I, I'm so sorry. Um, Books do that. <laughs> I know, but I, I am very interested to hear about the relationship uh, between the book and the movie, even just thematic, uh, the movie, the series, <laughs> even just thematically, because as I'm as I've been watching, you know, these two episodes, I've thought a lot about the form that you know you as you're mentioning, Michael. Like, what is this? Is it you know how short is it supposed to be? What kind of storytelling is it going to be? Um, you know. Who are the central characters? Do we need central characters? Is this going to be like a big, sprawling, um, almost anthology kind of thing where we're just in different places in the universe and and all of this stuff? I've been thinking mm-hmm. a lot about that and really wondering um, what all of this, like what ties it all together thematically. Um, and there's not much in the first two episodes. And that kind of has been my problem so far. Like, I I really agree with everything you guys have said. Like it's super beautiful to look at. The performances are great. I will watch Jared Harris and Lee Pace do anything. Um, <laughs> and they're doing a great job here. I mean, is there anybody that you could think of that you could cast that would be like a better emperor than like Lee Pace in this moment? Just <laughs> right, he's arrogant, so, beautiful right. emperor, so yeah. tall and broad shouldered. Like Lee Pace yeah. is enormous. You His know arms. what I mean? They put him in this like blue armor that makes him even bigger. And you're just like, right. yeah, he's the emperor for sure. We have seen from the Hobbit movies, just, you know, Lee Pace on a throne looking stoic it does and dissatisfied. A lot. It works really well. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and here they have the blue aesthetic from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies mm. that he has. Anyway, he looks great in blue. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I, I like thoroughly agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, there's, enough in it that is interesting and well done um that i'm for sure fascinated and really going to watch it but so far it feels like there's a little bit of a theme-sized hole in the middle of these two episodes that i'm not really sure what it's about and part of it i wonder is because of gail so you know they give us gail she's the narrator of the series um so we open with a voiceover from her and she doesn't say anything thematic in the opening monologue that I can tell. She kind of is just like, I'm going to talk to you about how big this universe is and there are thousands of planets. Then I move to Terminus. Okay. <laughs> great, great. Um, 
And then when we meet her on her home planet, you know, she's kind of like going to be exiled because like curiosity and science and things are illegal on her water planet. And um, I'm like, cool, cool. So my question, though, that the the series doesn't seem super concerned with is then like, what does she want? Right. Mm -hmm, Right. So she is fleeing her planet for two reasons. One, she won the math contest. Mm-hmm. Two, people don't like her because she has a brain and thinks for herself and does math. And so, and those are okay reasons to leave somewhere. And there's an okay reason to go to where Harry Seldon is on paper, right? There's a plot reason because she won the math contest. But what does she want? Like, like, what does she deeply want is kind of my question. Like, does she want a family? Does she want um, just to, the freedom to be able to talk about math in public, like, and, and be herself, right? She's looking for, like, an identity thing, potentially. Or I don't know, but it's something that the series doesn't seem interested in telling me what it is uh, mm-hmm. so far. And so there's that. And then there's, like, a lot of these big questions about, you know, um, the empire and the dark ages and how do we rule all the people? Um, is it with public executions or no public executions? <laughs> Future amazing scientific technology world still has public hangings. By <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just, it turned into the handmaid's tale for a minute and I was yeah. like, all right. Uh, but so like, I'm just, I, I want the series to hold together thematically more than I want it to do anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far it is really not interested in doing themes, at least as far as I can tell. So I hope, I hope we get to some of that and where some of this, as we get deeper into it, some of that stuff starts to emerge about what does this say about who we are? Because that's the thing about science fiction, right? It's supposed to explore who we are. I mean, all stories are supposed to do this, but Mm. sci-fi is really unique. What does this say about who we are as people? And you typically, our relationship to technology um, and or what it means to be human um, in our place in the scientific aspects of the world, in our place in the universe, in our place, you know, like in the changing like political landscape whatever our place is science fiction deals with that who are we in this place in relationship to x this bigger thing that is happening and that's kind of what i really want this series to do and get into so michael you you seem like you have something like maybe you have a a thematic thing that this move that you noticed well uh no Okay. But I I feel like there is a a bigger idea maybe that it's wanting to explore. And so so I want to go back to Sage's video on Just Write. It's called Isaac Asimov, comma, Game of Thrones, How to Write Sociological Stories. And so okay. the framework of that video is based on uh, an article that came out in Scientific American called The Real Reason Fans Hate the Last Season of Game of Thrones. And it sort of, that article... Um, goes into and then Sage explores this idea of two kinds of storytelling. Uh, Psychological being the kind that we're more used to, the thing that film does really well, which is like 
this story is about a character and this character is going to go on an emotional journey and change. And by the end of it, they will have changed and then you can extrapolate out. So like another example Sage gives in the video was like Star Trek where it's sci-fi and it is about saving the universe. But in the end, it's got to be Captain Kirk punching the bad guy to death because that's the story, the psychological you know, ending of Kirk's journey for sure. that movie. And then sociological storytelling being basically unconcerned with individuals and more concerned about the bigger systems and how humans as a group respond to the incentives put forth by the institutions in which they live. And so that seems to be what, and that's kind of what you were touching on Alex too, of like what foundation is really about the books anyways, like the, what, what do humans do given a certain system with certain incentives? How will they behave over like large periods of time? And so I think that is interesting and can connect to where we are today as far as, uh, like climate change seemed to be like a big parallel that I was right. picking up of like, mm-hmm. how do we react to things when our systems incentivize actions that are not helpful for everybody, <laughs> basically. Right. And so, and so I, yeah, I really, we'll, we'll put the link to this video in the show notes because I think it's probably uh, not required watching, but I think it'll be an interesting framework for us and for people watching the show because I'm really fascinated by this idea of how do you tell a sociological story about systems, about governments, about planets over thousands of years? How do you turn that into a compelling TV show? And as you were pointing out, Alex, episode two started to reveal maybe they're going to try to mash two things together that maybe don't fit. Like maybe... right. I don't need to know that Gail is in love with Dean Thomas uh, and like, <laughs> you know, like that individual character stuff does feel hollow for the reasons like you were saying, Trisha, of like, I don't know what that means to her. I didn't know that she was interested right. in romance whatsoever from the first right. episode. And so I think that's what I'm really fascinated by and what I'm excited to see the show explore and explore with you guys is like how are they doing this adaptation? What is working? What is kind of being left behind that is needed? Because I think it's cool that we are reaching out and trying to tell different stories, but they yeah. have to be fun, compelling, entertaining <laughs> stories for right. people to watch them. Sure. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting with the, uh, the, the climate change thing, you know, because... Harry does have sort of the Cassandra complex in the first, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the first episode where he's like, I've done the math. I have figured out that this is how long we have as, as an empire. Um, and they're like, yeah, but we don't understand your math and it sounds inconvenient and annoying. So we are going to ignore it, which obviously is exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying. Michael. Right. Um, but I was thinking about game of Thrones while watching this 
not just because Doran Martell is in it or because there's a fake Littlefinger character, um, but because it just sort of had that feel of like, oh, here's what these characters are doing over here. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I didn't even remember that Sage's video was also about Game of Thrones and the sociological thing. Um, but it made me think about the fourth book in, uh, in Song of Ice and Fire, uh, A Feast for Crows, where the first book you have six POV characters You've got four Starks and a Lannister and a Targaryen, and they're the Lannister and the Targaryen who you are empathizing with, uh, Daenerys and, and Tyrion. Um, and so, and then like each book is kind of like, but what if Jamie became a character? You have, and you're like, oh, that's challenging. And then it's like, what if Cersei? You're like, that's really challenging. Uh, but it's sort of making you, forcing you to kind of at least understand where these characters are coming from. Um, but the fourth book does something really interesting, which is that it tells. It has its normal POV characters, but then it tells the Greyjoy and Martell stories by having a different POV character every time we revisit that part of the map, basically. Hmm. So we have a person who we are meeting for the first time and we are finding out that, you know, he loves this girl and he's going to see her, but then he finds this thing that happens and then they see that he's watching and then they kill him and he is gone forever. But we as the reader are getting a little peek into that society of like how they're building this world by sort of checking in with these different characters who are mm -hmm. like on some, some of them are deeply ensconced in it. Some are on the outside. Um, but, and this is where it comes back to foundation is you need to have a character who you care about, who wants things. And that's, and that's what those do. So to your point, Alex, like, obviously we, I, I don't want one of those chapters from Game of Thrones or an episode of Foundation to just be narration about what a people's are doing. <laughs> right. Like, right. just sort of like, <laughs> like, and then, you know, the king decided that these people should go and then they went over there and then this thing happened. Like, you can only do that for so long before you're, you just completely check out. Like we do as, as film watchers, we do need to say, okay, who is our protagonist? Who are we rooting for? What do they want? What is the actual, what's going on in the scene? And we're still struggling to find out what some characters want with Foundation, but I feel myself being more attracted to it uh, when I feel like I am just like settled in with some characters and I know what they want. Then when a big world thing happens, I feel more interested in it because I can see how it affects the characters rather than just, oh, you showed me a thing and now you're showing me another thing. Right. Uh, so yeah, that mm -hmm. was what I was thinking about while watching all this. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking uh, in terms of, theme um or just in terms of this relationship between yeah sociological storytelling versus like uh psychological storytelling this really reminded me of, of two things and the first is the martian chronicles um which is a mm -hmm. book by ray bradbury that was written almost at exactly the same moment as the foundation series by isaac asimov um the martian chronicles was published in 1950 and it is, it sounds like it's a book series, but it's not, it's just one novel. <laughs> uh, and it's actually not that long. You can sit down and read it probably in like one setting or two. Um, I really, really recommend it. It's one of my favorite Bradbury things. I'm a really big Bradbury fan, but um, it is a, a book that's more like a series of short stories where every chapter is about somebody totally different. Um, but they're all on Mars basically. So like the first chapter is like, and then here's when we first landed on Mars as humans. And then in the next chapter is here's when we first encountered the Martians. And it was, you know, a hundred years later. And then it was like, here's 
the fall of our civilization on Mars. And it's like 200 years later or whatever. Um, so none of the same characters exist throughout it, but it's all sort of thematically about the same thing. And it's sort of in scope, relatively small, right? It's all just on one planet and it's sort of about humans and their interactions with this planet that existed before they got there and, and like exists long past their civilization on the planet. Um, and what it mines thematically is the communication like piece and or breakdown of like, we landed here, there was a civilization here and here was how our cultures did not communicate with each other. Or here's like, mm -hmm. there's, there's this, um, yeah, running theme of like how we succeeded, how humans succeeded or failed at at actually communicating with a culture that was so different from theirs, you know. Um, really, really recommend that. And I think that that's a really great example of how to do this kind of story where it's like if you can keep the scope pretty narrow and the theme like is kind of what can tie the different characters together. It's like, I can see in every single one of those chapters, how communication is at the heart of, or lack of communication is at the mm -hmm. heart of the conflict. Right. And this also reminds me of Mad Men is another example mm -hmm. of how to do sort of sociological storytelling because Mad Men thematically is about here are the 1960s in the United States Right. And here are all of these people that are dealing with different issues that were rapidly changing during the 1960s. And here's how it affected them and changed some of them and also didn't change them in some ways. Right. And, you know, they fell back into their same old patterns, despite the fact that the world was changing around them. Um, and so that's kind of why I love Mad Men is that even though it is a true ensemble, it's thematically really tightly held together, again, by a pretty narrow scope of time. Um, and there are characters that you can really dive into their psychology. So I feel like it maybe right. is walking the line between those two. Also ties with, you know, something like Chernobyl where it's exactly. This, I was thinking about this Chernobyl big too. cataclysmic event can kill Jared Harris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, man, he really does not make it through anything. Does he? Oh, Jesus. New Sean Bean. I was going to be, yeah, it's like new it's Sean, Sean Bean. Bean thing all over again. Yeah. Anyway. So I, I'm just Wait, kind okay, of like, so no, I'm, now I need a movie between where Sean Bean <laughs> and Jared Harris face off and you right. like, it's going to be the most tense survive. thing possible because, like, who's going to die? You don't probably like, both of them, to be probably honest. Probably both of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just I think that this actually is really capable of doing that, and maybe focusing on some like a smaller handful of characters is going to give us more of a Mad Men effect. And I'm really hoping, you know, if the scope has to be as big as it has to be, then maybe the cast of characters can kind of keep us thematically grounded a little bit. Right. So I, I have some thoughts on all that from what I've read so far of the book. Um, Great. Because, you know, in the in the book, I did end up ended up getting pretty into it once I was deeper into some of these stories that happen 30, 50 years down the line from from the initial like Hari Seldon scenes. Um, and why they get they became interesting is because the, you are with just a group of characters for that chapter for that you know mm. that book within a book and it's usually a political crisis is happening that is kind of a maybe a turning point at this stage of the breakdown or the kind of comeback from the fall you know, so it's there are these really compelling basically anthology stories 
in in the foundation book. And I think I would imagine I would imagine the whole series is somewhat built like that. Maybe the other books are more real time with certain characters for more of the book. But I almost I do almost wish I, I I can't say for sure without knowing the entire series and what the rest of the series is like, but the first book does point to anthology series. Um, and I think mm. that's almost kind of more what I would want from a foundation adaptation, but there seems to be an attempt to try to make it game of Thrones where you do stick with certain characters and you don't have that kind of disconnect from episode to episode. Maybe the third right. episode will just launch us into something totally new. And we might just like check back in with Gail here and there. I, right. I imagine it's going to change over the course of the season. The I'm excited. Of, yeah. Or it could be an interesting thing where instead of being an anthology show like True Detective, uh, it's sort of being like each season is telling this character, this group of characters story. And then the next season, mm. we're jumping forward to like, you know, 100 years later. Or something. That, that would make a lot you of can, sense. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. always have Lee Pace play the, exactly. the Cleon clone, which is nice. He will be there forever. Right. I was going to say that's one of the kind of you know, brilliant strokes. If you, if you are going to tell the story that has to span lots of time, one character is just always a clone. Immortal. So yep. it's just <laughs> right. right. Like and, that, and that was character. invented for the show. Uh, okay. so, oh, very and, and, cool. so, and, and now I'm realizing why that makes a right. lot of sense. So, so they, yeah. they literally just ripped it off dark. <laughs> like the unholy trinity of three yep. guys who are the same person at three different ages right. okay. yeah. I, I thought dark was inspired by the book but yeah. <laughs> well and i believe sage mentions in his video that the the original foundation book was a collection of short stories published in yeah, they were. magazines oh. over yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's that also why it lends yeah. itself to that thing and and that's you know to kind of close out by bringing it back to the that article in the comparison of Game of Thrones and what changed in Game of Thrones is that one of the hallmarks of sociological storytelling is that characters can come and go. They can die and the story continues because it's not right. hanging on the investment in that one character. And that's something that Game of Thrones famously does super well for several of its early seasons. And then at some point, people became so invested in the characters that had lasted that killing them would feel like well, mm. why am I watching the show if X right. person isn't there anymore? Yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this show handles that and do characters stick around because it seems like they really want us to invest in at least one person, our, our protagonist, Gail. So will she persist, etc. Right. Well, Jared Harris is listed <laughs> on IMDb as being in 10 episodes of this show. Right. So, I, but, you know, I'm... Or credited in 10 episodes. He's credited. That's true. Right. Um, and that could just be a contractual thing. Um, but I would bet that he'll exist in some, some other way. form, right? So, like, we're going to get a hologram or a flashback. Some or like practical hologram. Yeah, or exactly. Clone. <laughs> or, or a clone. Or, yeah. Or, yeah I feel like we're going to get more. I will say the character, of, the character of Hari Seldon remains important throughout the entirety of the first book of Foundation. Uh-huh. Okay. Good to know. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and the, the last thing that I'm, I'm excited for next week and the next couple episodes, because the director of those episodes is Alex Graves, who is like mm. one of the TV directors I really like going back to, I think he might've been the first like TV directors, like, like who, whose name I knew because Ooh. he directed a bunch of my favorite episodes of the West Wing, 
uh, mm. in Excelsis Deo, 17 people, commencement for the West Wing nerds out wow. there. Like literally three of my favorites. And also directed several Game of Thrones episodes in seasons three and four. So I'm curious to see what what that vision will bring to it and how this story will evolve. The thing, main thing I'm curious about is to see what's in the vault. And I feel like they mm. might be holding that back maybe until like some of the last episodes because it seems like they're kind of using it as a frame. And it was like, and then mm-hmm. this is what's happening with the vault. And then here she is. She's going to go look at the vault and it's going to change everything. Like, <laughs> they might not show me for a long time because they, they built a mystery box. There's they just built yep. a really big one that floats in the air and you can't get in it. And um, <laughs> and I'm they it worked on me. I just want to have a quick dialogue note and just a thing people say, which is that non-zero chance means chance. (laughs) (laughs) I like non-zero chance. I know you do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's something mathematicians would say. Yeah. It's a mathy thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or it's just one of those things you say when you want to add extra syllables to your word. <laughs> like it's a torrential downpour outside. You mean it's raining? Like it's, it's just a, it's a downpour. Like, I feel like the equivalent phrase would be like there's a slight chance. There's a non zero right. chance. It's a right. tiny little it's slightly more than zero window. Yeah. So thank when you. When Jared Harris says it, it works for me. Just Same. Like, you know, Yeah. <laughs> Although I, the one line I really did like was when um, Lee Pace was talking to Brother Dusk and referred to him as, uh, or no, sorry. <laughs> Brother Dawn instead a younger grape from the same vine destined for the same old bottle. I was like, all right, yeah, that was got, some good. That was good a cool line. Love yeah. it. Well, yeah, yeah well, I'm sure this will be a continuing theme in the series. But one theme that I did pick up in that first episode was the genetic dynasty as a visual, literal, literal representation of a system that won't change with the times. Yeah, you know, a system mm-hmm. that won't evolve, that remains static, is going to collapse at some point. Um, so I think there are there are themes here, but I agree that across these two episodes, there's not... I don't understand why these character stories are all happening towards They're more one like thing. ideas yeah. than themes. Right. So far. Right. Yeah. Well, but, and I was... Re- now that you mentioned that, Alex, I was really struck by, you know, one of the very last scenes of this second episode, which is when um, the robot... Um, assistant of <laughs> yeah, the, right, like, the replicant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when she's standing there and talking with uh, Brother Don, and he's like, "How often does it go this way? How often do we choose this?" Right about the public mm-hmm. executions, and she's like, "We always choose this," or like, "You always choose this." Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, yeah, this sort of idea that things have not changed for so long. It's a system that is like reluctant or refusing to change regardless of the specifics of the predicament, right? Where she's like, the choices won't always be like this. It's, you know, the difference between clemency and, you know, this wrath, I guess, or punishment. But she kind of has the conclusion of, but you, you know, the genetic clone that you are always go this way. So Mm -hmm. speaking really quickly of executions and, shocking things uh i was pretty taken aback by the ending of episode two with Raish like violently stabbing his father figure and apologizing and saying i love you while shooting her into space into like an asteroid field it felt that was also (laughs) like that was also kind of a bump for me where it was like are you just doing are you doing a game of thrones thing of like look how shocking it all is we just killed the guy like like, but like we haven't like earned this yet like i haven't spent enough time in this world with these characters for this to feel that meaningful it just feels more like 
shocking television moments. Um, and once again, it's like, I don't think this is supported by the books or it, it hasn't been so far in what I've read. So it does feel like they just had to do the shocker. We're going to release the first two episodes. Things are so shocking and bad. What's going to happen next? And I am curious to see like how they explain all this and how they resolve it. Um, but I, as a book reader, I was definitely taken aback by, <laughs> by that finale. <laughs> Right. How, what did it feel like to you guys that that last scene? It felt. I would say it, it felt un, yeah, unexciting to me. Like it just right. sort of. It felt. I guess like unearned. Like it was just right. like here's a thing that is happening, not a thing that like oh my gosh, like I feel so taken aback because I was expecting this. It just sort of felt like it was like here's a new event we're showing you. Like all right. Well, just as a reminder that choices feel meaningful when we understand that position the characters are in and the pressures right. that are working on them right what position was Raish in right we have no idea what's going on like what, what was was his right. mission was like did Hari Seldon give him the mission you must stab me violently so that like psychohistory can unfold like you couldn't have maybe me the, you couldn't have killed me in a nicer way like uh <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious like what I'm I feel like it's the kind of show that will give us a full explanation I'm yeah. just very curious of what it could be and how it will make sense. Like, and yeah, why now? Why in this way? Yeah. What? Like, you're not even to the planet yet. Like, it didn't yeah. seem like you planned it very well. Like, if this was a <laughs> right. planned murder, it's right. very haphazard. You got like, Raish, seen. Yeah, Rache seems surprised when she sees him. <laughs> like, were you always planning to shoot her out into a space pot or just because she saw you? Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of follow-up questions. Yes, definitely a see. lot of definitely a lot of whiplash and things <laughs> not making a, a ton of sense. And I was also feeling that thing, like you were saying, Alex, of the we need to do Game of Thrones, so we need to have the big public execution scene of like where you kind of only sort of know who these people are, or why you care. So it does feel like the show is kind of rushing to get to some of those big climactic, like look, this is like the show where it's big drama, and you got to care but hasn't spent the time investing in it. I'm hoping that the next couple episodes slow down and focus up and get us invested in like what is actually going on right now. Right, and right. what are we, what do we need to care about for the arc of this season of the show? Agree. And a lot of times I will say a lot of times episode twos are bumpy in a show. Usually mm-hmm. there's like a sure. pi- the pilot has a lot of care put into it. we got to set up the whole world and all the characters and I, a lot of times episode twos are just kind of weird. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm hoping that's the case with, with foundation yeah. and, and it kind of figures out where it's going in the rest of the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, we shall see. And if you want to see along with us, listener, uh, head over to the beyond screen play Patreon to sign up again. It's the $5 tier to get access to this, what we're watching series. You also get access to video versions of our podcast. Thank you as always to the patrons. Thank you to our producer, Vince major and our editor, Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker. I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner and Alex Cayaros. We will see you over on Patreon. And this Friday is our episode on Skyfall. Yay. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.